Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. So today we have Dr. Gomez. We are so excited about our new program director series where we get to interview a new program director who has so much experience with the match and learn about their tips for various specialties. So Dr. Gomez, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Simone. Uh, this is great for me to do. I, I think it's the first podcast that I've done that actually somebody's asking me a question and I'm not talking about myself. So I'm really excited to uh, try to help in whatever I can and with my years of experience. Well, we are so excited to have you. So what is your official position? So I am a faculty of diagnostic radiology at the University of Texas Health San Antonio. We call it UT Health San Antonio. And over there, I'm the Diagnostic Radiology Residency Program Director, and I am also the Chief of Musculoskeletal Imaging and Intervention. So I got my hands full with stuff to do <laughs> administratively, but I do specialize in musculoskeletal imaging, specifically in intervention, image guided intervention. Very cool. So we like to start our podcast with some rapid fire questions. So were you AOA? Yes and no. I am an, I'm, I'm an AOA, but at the time that I was filling my ERAS application, I was not, but I am an AOA, so yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Were you gold humanism? Uh, no, I, don't, I didn't even know what was that <laughs> until I became a prime director. I don't think they had that at the University of Puerto Rico, but it's a great thing to have. <laughs> and were you president of the radiology club in medical school? No, there was not even a specialty club those days. I'm telling you, I think the one in the University of Puerto Rico, uh, I helped, I helped uh, create that. And I think it was already like 2004. So I, I guess, did I tell you I'm really very old? <laughs> <laughs> Were you involved in research during medical school? Um, again, I'm going to go against yes and no. Uh, again, I went to the University of Puerto Rico and opportunities there for research were limited as compared to large medical school here in the continental US. Uh, I did work in some projects, but I didn't really have any major publications. So, I mean, small educational projects, but uh, a big, uh, you know, publication in a big journal I did not have. So sometimes on the interview trail, there's like funny experiences that we have, or some of us have some deficiencies in your application. And I was just wondering if you were able to talk about your experience applying to residency or any funny interview stories that you've had as you've been a program director for so long. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it was so long ago. I really, I remember like most students that I talked to that I, I didn't think I was a strong applicant. And I didn't think I was going to match. And the people who were applying, the other students who were applying to radiology in my class were much better than me. <laughs> and I, actually, I didn't receive many interviews. I'm coming from the University of Puerto Rico. So, um, I, you know, I, I was pretty scared. So I, and in the few interviews I went in the continental US, I really didn't know what to expect. And I felt pretty lost. But let me tell you something, Simon. If I was evaluating my own application these days, I wouldn't know if I wanted to cry or start laughing at it. <laughs> I tell people nowadays, compare my application to people today. I say, oh boy, if my application would, I, I, I would have to throw it, I'll throw it to a trash can. So, uh, but yeah, but I don't remember. I didn't go to that many interviews, so I don't really have that 
funny, funny uh, stories. And it was a long time ago, but I do have plenty of funny stories as a PD <laughs> and long time interview, right? I've been, I've been interviewing so many people, I guess. So what does make a competitive radiology applicant as you're sifting through the thousands of applications that you get each year? Yeah, so that's a good question. So uh, applicants often ask me um, how many applications we get at, at UT Health San Antonio. It's a big program. We accept anywhere from 10 to 12 uh, uh, residents, and that's not included IR. So we usually receive somewhere from 800 to 1,000 applications that you, know, you have to divide that between IMG and American graduates and all that. But I mean, it's a lot of applications and obviously you can go through all of them. This year I went through almost 500 of them, reading everything and it was, and it was a great task. <clears throat> so in, in general terms, I don't think that what makes, you know, I, I don't think that what makes a great applicant varies much from specialty to specialty. I think it's pretty basic for everybody. You know, you have to be a good student because you have to pass the specialty boards and you want to know that this student can take tests and do well on them. You have to be a team player because medicine is a team sport, especially in radiology. You have to be hardworking because no matter what you see in Twitter, residency is hard. There's just no sugar coating on this. Doesn't matter which residency you do, it's going to be difficult. Uh, we're looking for high emotional, you know, good, good residents will have high emotional intelligence. Um, again, did I say that residency involves a lot of hardship? And most importantly of everything is that you have to have an industrious personality. I think I, I tell this when I interviewing people, I believe in the 50-50 rule, meaning that 50% uh, when you're a resident, 50% of what you're going to be, is up to the program to provide you the tools so you can thrive. But the other 50% is up to you having, you know, taking ownership of your own learning. So you're trying to look for that in an applicant, somebody that has a history of being able to take ownership of their own learning and trying to take care of the things they need to do to become a competent physician. Uh, but, you know, you have to keep in mind that there are some variations to this and it depends, you know, on the programs and actually the personalities of the people who are interviewing you. I've interviewed in so many committees and teams and uh, different people, they bring different perspectives and they have put importance in some things more than others. Uh, but, you know, through research leadership position, voluntary work and grace, we're just trying to get a sense of the qualities that I, you know, explain above. So also remember that the application process is divided in three large, but very different steps. The first one is securing the interview. So just to get invitation, which is really related to the objective data that you have and your visibility, what you have done to make yourself visible out there. So brand directors see your name in the list of in eras and be able to at least, you know, kind of, a, you know, spot you and, and read your application. And then it's going through the interview process, which relates to your personality, enthusiasm, and how you project yourself. And then the, 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 the last step is putting it all together and doing a ranking list, which relates to being honest with yourself. All these steps are very important and how you approach them, I guess it varies tremendously. Well, you know, I really love that 50-50 approach. You're right in that it's so much not only about the program, but also what you are going to put in in regards to your time and your dedication to being a quality resident. And, you know, you talked about some of those components of an ERAS application, like leadership and volunteerism, but another key component of ERAS is a personal statement. And a lot of the times we get really stressed out when we're trying to brainstorm some topics. So I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for radiology applicants about how to start writing a personal statement. 
Yeah, so the, pers the personal statement is becoming more and more important these days as we're seeing more of like medicine in general pushing for a more holistic evaluation of the applicants. And also, as you all know, the USMLE step one is going to pass and fail. So we're kind of being pushed to evaluate more holistically and the, per the personal statement kind of is going to be in the center of it all. You know, historically, the personal statement was divided in three major topics that residents were taught to write, which was what, why do you like a specialty, in my case, radiology. The second was what characteristics make, you know, will make you a good radiologist that you have, you know, what characteristics that I have or as an applicant that will contribute for me being a good radiology. And, and the rest of it is what I call miscellaneous. You know, you have to explain it that, that year off or you're explaining why you had a bad step one or you're explaining why you didn't do good in something. Anything that you want to explain, that's what I call the third, the miscellaneous. Um, you know, I, I, do, I do believe that applicants spend too much time trying to convince the prime directors on why they like radiology <laughs> and why they would become good residents and eventually, you know, good radiologists. I'm, well, the problem with this is that this leads to like, you know, like kind of like a cookie, cookie cutter personal statement. And then you don't really stand out. If, if everybody's saying the same thing, you're reading the same kind of things. Uh, you don't stand out. And, and, and of course, the personal statement is your one chance to stand, to stand out. So, uh, so for me, for example, I think it's very obvious that you want to do radiologists. I mean, you're applying and you're spending a lot of money doing this. So I'm, I'm pretty obvious that you want to do radiology. Obviously, there is always the applicant who did not understand very well what he wanted, but that is really the exception. I guess instead, I would encourage all applicants to focus on themselves and their journey. I will make a personal statement that is unique and personal. That's what I would do. And I will brainstorm situations and events that have changed my life and how they affect the way I see medicine, the way I see medical training, the way I see radiology in my case, the way I see patient care, but more in the way of starting with situations in your life that have made you the person that you are so you make it unique instead of trying to just fit this mold first paragraph this is why i chose radiology second paragraph this is the characteristics that i have that fit into radiology and the third paragraph miscellaneous and why i want to go to your program <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what i would do that's really helpful to try to avoid some of the template forms that everyone seems to be using. And you mentioned something really interesting in that the third paragraph can talk about deficiencies in whether or not we passed an exam or we failed a course. And I'm wondering what's the most appropriate way to talk about this and whether or not we should create some sort of excuse of why we may have not passed a certain exam or a certain course during medical school. Yeah, I think if it's something that you would think is a red flag, which I don't, there for me, there's very few red red flags. So let's call it like an orange flag, right? You, <laughs> there's something that you think in your world that this is going to preclude me from being accepted to a residency program, but it may not be a reality, right? Because a red flag is like, well, you were arrested because you were caught driving drunk or something like that, or you were arrested because you hit your wife or stuff like that. That's kind of a red flag. But most of the things like I didn't do that well on the exam for me are like kind of orange. And I think it's important if you think if it's bothering you, you should be able to explain it and don't dwell on it and don't put excuses. It's more about what you did to overcome the deficit. If you did bad on the step one, for example, and then you study really hard and you did very well on the step two, you want to say, well, what are the things that I did and I changed from taking the step one to the step two instead of focusing more on the 
excuse because there's a difference between saying i did bad on the step one because my dad was sick and i didn't have time which is obviously it's, it's a it's a very valuable excuse but i think that you should try to focus on what did you do to overcome that hardship because i think most of us you know understand that we are not perfect and we're focusing on progression as a resident we want residents that face hardship in patient care and are able to actually move forward so we're focusing more on what are you doing to move forward than actually the problem that you had so that's what i would concentrate on that's really helpful and then some people now are talking about whether they should personalize their statement at the end and put you know a few sentences about the program at the bottom and why they particularly want to go there and i'm wondering if you view this to be beneficial or helpful for you as a program director to read um I think that I, I would, uh, let, let, me, let me see if I can explain this well. I would for top programs. It is definitely nice for me to read personalized, personal statements. I mean, it, it is nice when I'm reading a personal statement and suddenly somebody is writing, well, you know, I, I wanna go and train with you because this and that. I'm like, wow, this person, because, you know, I know it takes a lot of time and effort to do that. So it sends the message very loud and clear. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, you have to keep in mind that this for you is going to be a lot of hard work because you have to actually research the program uh, to be able to have a credible personalization, right? Uh, I guess that if you're just doing, you know, like it happens sometimes, you're just going to add the last sentence of your personal statement, oh, I really would like to train at UTL San Antonio, uh, you know, without any specifics, I would skip it, right? Because it just doesn't say anything. But if you want to do it right, which it, because personalization means actually, you research the program, you know something about the program, and you're going to include something in the personal statement, usually the last paragraph, on the reasons why you want to go train there. So it's not only about just adding a sentence about it. Yeah, so that really brings us to the next point about, you know, showing interest in a program. One way could be through a personal statement, and I'm curious if there are any other ways that you recommend applicants show interest, especially in one of their top programs on their list um shows but so this is a complicated question um uh, mostly because i think defining interest is rather complicated uh, I, I guess i as a primary actually have to keep i keep in mind that for good reason obviously students are just terrified of the of all this match thing and iras and uh, you know i'm terrified that i'm gonna go and match and you you know at the end of the day a lot of them are just constantly trying to show interest to all kinds of programs that i don't think they're really interested in right so a lot of risk you know applicants end up in the situation that they're showing interest to 50 programs and so what happens then is that the term interest kind of becomes diluted right if you if you're sending trying to show interest in 50 programs at the same time then it becomes diluted for you and for everybody so you know for example for me during interview season i can receive up to 10 to 15 emails a day of people showing interest um and so sometimes i don't even get time to read them but there are some things you can do that are very concrete one as you know it's an away rotation you can do if you can virtual or in person that obviously shows a lot of interest if you're taking the time and money to go to a place and do a rotation I would encourage people to participate in virtual town halls and informative sessions. Those kind of started with COVID, but I'm sure they're going to be again this year. And again, it gives you visibility and you want to be visible. You want to, when the prime director goes to that list, if that person recognizes your name, it may stop for a second, <laughs> but that second may give you an advantage. I mean, I'm talking here real, real stuff, right? It, it is visibility. And 
when you have a thousand applications and you can only evaluate 500 because you, nobody has the manpower to read you know every single application completely and that's why people use the step one and all these things as filters uh, then you just want to be visible some people are visible because they have a very high step one but there are some people who find ways to be visible so that's what you want to do with the virtual town halls and informative sessions that you want to increase your visibility I think sending short emails, you, you can, but with specific reasons of why you like that particular program. If you're gonna, look, I can tell in two seconds, if you wrote me an email that you wrote a hundred other places and you just <laughs> changed my name at the top, I can, I can, I can figure that out in three seconds. And it, in all honesty, I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even do that, you know, if, if you know, if, if I were you. Um, and, and then the last thing I wanna say about this is, don't get frustrated if you don't get any response from a prime directors. I mean, I, I just, I would love to be able to answer everybody that writes me, but I just don't have enough time because obviously I have to do patient care. And the important thing about this is that it doesn't mean anything. If you don't get a response, you show interest in an email and nobody responds to you, don't, don't lose interest in that place and don't think that they don't like you. It has, it may be that they didn't get to the email because it's just a lot of work. So. I hear a lot of, oh, I wrote that place, they didn't write me back. Well, don't get frustrated. Just, you know, it's just, it doesn't really mean anything. That is such a great point because this entire process is so anxiety provoking. And if you're allowing one email to make you dislike a program, you might want to reconsider especially when it comes to like a residency interview day, which can show you really a lot about a program. And so that brings me to wonder, what does a radiology residency interview typically look like? So a radiology residency interview, um, it, I guess it's like every other interview, it's, it's, it's divided in two parts. And the first part is, you know, one of the parts is the parts with the residents. And historically you will go out usually the night before the day be you know the night before the the interview day you will go out with the dinner with dinner or virtual happy hour now it's virtual happy hour but dinner and happy hour with the residents usually was an informal event in a restaurant and when i when i was at uab they would uh they would go to a residence house and the residents will cook for them and there, there are many ways that you can set this up now virtually there's virtual happy hour some people send you berry eats or something but i, I don't know if that's e even necessary uh, but it's important to talk to the residents without a faculty because you it's a good time to ask about call moonlighting and other questions you actually may feel uncomfortable asking me as a program director as a faculty like you know are you happy in the program or you know do you feel like you you can voice your opinion do you feel any fear of retaliation you know uh and uh, does the program works for you and i mean i don't know I, I'm, I'm planning to have a kid does anybody here had a kid how was the maternity all the stuff that you can ask you can you should be able to ask this to a prime director but you can you have to understand that some people feel like that's a taboo and the part with the residents is a good it's a, it's a good way for you to ask them because the residents are usually obviously more low-key and you can loosen up and then the part with the faculty and the prime director you know what you can do for that is just prepare well by practicing and doing mock interviews i cannot stress more that there is a method to the madness to interview and you you People are not natural at it. I mean, some people are extroverts and some people are, you know, smile more and talk more and all that stuff. And it may become more easy, but you have to be ready. You be ready to answer common questions. Just like, you know, like, tell me about yourself. Why did you choose this specialty? Tell me about your weaknesses and strengths. You have to take some time 
to practice this, at least have an idea what you're going to answer because you want to be, you don't want to be in the interview. Somebody asks you something and you're completely blanked out. And also very important is be enthusiastic. You know, a bad interview can keep you out of the ranking list just because we sense that you are not really interested in the program at all. And it happens every year. You know, I know that, you know, residents will have some safeties, right? You have the, the reaches, the normal ones and the safeties. But if you apply to a program, it's because you think there is a chance that you may end up there. So just show enthusiasm. I mean, when I, when I, even if you have good grace, when I interview somebody that I feel like they have no interest in talking to me, I don't even rank them because I don't really even understand why they apply to our program. So it's just garner all your energy that day. And I know it's tough because, it, it, you, you know, you guys do some interviews during interview season. I do like 120 <laughs> and I know it becomes tiresome, but you have to show your A game and being enthusiastic is a really good, important part of it. Oh, and also have questions, have questions, have questions in your mind. They're going to ask you this. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, sometimes I, when you ask, do you have any questions? No, I don't. Just have something. They're going to ask you, so be ready. <laughs> yes, no, questions are key and making sure that you think of those that are really more specific towards that program than just generalized ones that could be asked anywhere, I think shows that you care as well. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So what parts of an ERAS application do you think a lot of interviewers seem to focus on and ask about during interviews? Um, so, yeah, the, so during interview, I guess the most important thing, I just want to get this out of the way, is that you, some people have ERAS application. I, I, I'm not even joking, that if you print it out, it will be 100 pages long. Oh, my goodness. No, no. I mean, they put, it's what I call fillers. A lot of people put fillers. Some people don't, you know, they, because, you know, the, 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 the reality is that applicants get in the situation. It's like, okay, I have all this stuff, but what is important for me to put in the application and what actually looks silly? Like, okay, this, you know, I, should I put this, you know, that I did in high school? Should I put it here? Stuff like that. I mean, I'm giving just an example and, 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 you know, the, 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 the thing it goes to, to, uh, you know, when, when you pull in a lot of fillers, you go to a point then your applications get, get really, really long. But the important thing in the interview is that you need to be able to elaborate on anything that you put in that application. I would say that that is a pretty red flag. If you, for example, you do some kind of research and when you're asked about it, you really can't elaborate on it because you actually were, somebody put you in the research, you know, they put your name there, but you didn't really do much. Um, just make sure you can elaborate on everything you put in. Everything that you put in your application is, this game, we can ask about it and you should be able to elaborate. So I guess let's rank these things in my experience and the things that are commonly asked. The first one without that will be hobbies. And the reason is because in hobbies, it's a good, it's a good way to start a comfortable conversation and hearing about an applicant talk about something they are passionate about. And once you start that, when, when I realized when I ask applicants and they start talking about something that they're really very passionate about, they kind of relax because it's, it's a topic that they master. And, you know, they kind of let go of all these constraints and you sometimes get to see the real person, which is what you want to see in an interview. You want to see, you want to have a conversation with somebody like you were in a park because I just want to see who you are. And, you know, I don't want to, I'm not here for you to tell me what's in your CV. I already read your CV. I just want to see who you are. So that's why hobbies usually are something that people pick because it's a way for you to mellow the conversation and get the best out of the applicants in a way that you can sense, you know, kind of who they are and what they are. 
And after that will be work and volunteer experiences, just because again, life experiences talk, you know, tell a lot about resilience, gratitude, selflessness, teamwork, all those things, all these things can be indirectly assessed talking about your work and volunteer experience. So, and you know, especially work and volunteer, we ask sometimes like, okay, so why did you leave this work? What happened? And usually it's because you're continuing in your career as a physician, but you get a lot of information about that. So be ready to talk about what was so, what was your feeling about your work? Where did you experience gratitude in, when, at work and a volunteer experience? If you went to Haiti and you saw a lot of poverty there, you know, how this made you a better person and, you know, how all this experience contributed for your resilience. All those things are important that is what the interviewer wants to know about you when they're talking to you about these things. And the next one will be research and research is more like I talk a lot about research with applicants. If there's a research of something I know, but sometimes there's a lot of basic science research that I don't know anything about. And I, I don't ask much about it because I can't expand on the talk, right? And I'm not going to ask an applicant. Most prime directors won't ask an applicant to, okay, tell me about research. And you're just going to repeat, you know, I was, you know, evaluating this and mice and this and that. You know, if you don't understand much about it, you can't carry a conversation. So remember, all, all the things that we ask is, but we want, we want to engage you in a conversation. So if there's nothing there to engage, we probably are not going to ask. And again, when you do research, it happens every year. I ask you about a research to an app and they don't know anything about it. They can't elaborate. And for me, it's like, did you lie in the application or <laughs> did you forget about it? <laughs> and of course, this, this is a position you don't want to be in. Yes, definitely. So definitely know your research and make sure that you're putting important components um, into your ERAS because who wants to read 100 pages? That sounds beautiful. <laughs> It happens every year, you know, because I mean, I understand you want to buff. I understand that. I mean, I was an applicant once. Um, and the, the, the thing is that, you know, I've done it so long that I can know, I know what's a filler and what is not. And, um, and yeah, it's just, I think that you should, you, you, you put whatever you want. But the point is that if sometimes you put so much stuff that you forget, you put it there and there's going to be this person who read your application <laughs> and got interest in a job that you didn't see world, you know, you know, feeding the fishes and then the, this person loves fishes and aquariums and they're going to go that rabbit hole and you better be ready. <laughs> you know, that's the point that you have to be ready to answer because in all, I'm telling you, uh, Simone, in all interview teams that I've been through the years, you know, when, when an interviewer finds the situation, they're never happy. It's like, well, I just don't really understand. Or, you know, or, or saying that a, that a volunteer experience, a work experience, stuff like, just keep it very honest there because, you know, people don't want to feel like you're lying, like you're trying to buff up, like you're trying to, you know, embellish yourself with something that you're not. You're, you're you and you have to present yourself as you are. And actually, you're going to do such a better, you're going to, you're going to sound so awesome when you're talking about the things that you know, about the things that you're passionate about, about the things that you can carry a conversation that sounds interesting, not robotic. Uh, all those things just, just make you look better. But when you start crossing the path, about things that you're not so, so sure about, then you start, you just don't sound that good. And, and remember, it's not that you did this, you know, not, not everybody went to the Olympics and won a gold medal or did a research that changed the world. We do genetic therapy and all that stuff. That's, we don't expect that from a student. In fact, I don't expect a student to be a first author in a publication. I don't expect any of that stuff. I mean, you come into my program to the radiology to become a great physician. So all this stuff about research for me, it's a cherry on the top and it just proves about your hard work and how you can handle 
a lot of things at the same time and how industrious you are on chasing something that is beyond what is expected, but it's not really because I think that research is going to make a difference on you becoming a physician. Uh, it's like a cherry on the top. No, that is really key to hear. And also, I guess we won't be putting that we were president of our fifth grade class. That can <laughs> Yeah, well, some people put some crazy. I mean, I, I can tell you Simon's stories for years. I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen some, some, some very funny stuff. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and I think that if, if I, this is why I tell Optic, if you think this define, is this something that you think defines who you are? Fine. You can put it in because it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. And that is not what I call a filler. It's, it's part of who you are. It's just that some people put a lot of stuff that, you know, like it's stuff that is like, you know, sometimes it's stuff like, well, you know, I, 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 um, I, I was in a study group in medical school and, and I presented to my, you know, like in my study group with my colleagues about the Krebs cycle. And then they repeat that like a hundred times. Well, you know, probably most people do that, right? They tell, you know, your friends tell you, well, why don't you study about the Krebs cycle and explain it to us? But you don't, you don't put in an application, but some people do. <laughs> wow. Oh so, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it, it, it can get wild, but the, my point is just make sure that, uh, yeah, I, I would keep it very, if, if it was me, I would keep it uh, as precise as possible and things that I feel passionate about and I can talk about and things that actually, I'm, you know, I've done well and, and seen through. That's what I would do. That's so helpful. Your tips are incredible, which you share on Twitter at Skeletal Rad, which I advise everyone to follow. And so that's one awesome opportunity to learn about things that are going on in medicine in the match process. But I'm curious if you have any other tips for people to connect with a mentor in radiology, to learn more about the field, or even find those research opportunities. Um, look, I, th there's no better time for that than now. I think now, you know, in the past, you have to go and search, uh, you know, the website of programs and do all this stuff. I think now in, in social media, at least I'm, I'm active in Twitter and minimally active on uh, Instagram. And there's a lot of information there. I think, you know, well, let me back. I think, I think you should connect with a mentor through your school, if possible. I know I've, I've learned uh, this year that there are so, a lot of very small schools or IMGs that don't have that opportunity uh, and they need to get some virtual mentorship. But if you can get it through the school, I, you know, this year I've done, I, I did 57, virt I, I mentor 57 people, uh, applicants. Oh, wow. And because of COVID, I just wanted to help. And I, I, I tell you, it has been great. But the problem, Simone, is that you want a mentor that is willing to sponsor you, that is willing to stand up for you, that is willing to pick up the phone and call somebody, that is willing to give you an opportunity of work, that is willing to write a letter for you uh, besides the letter of recommendation. And I can't do that if I don't work with you, right? So some of the people that I did some of the virtual mentorship, I ended up doing some virtual projects and I, you know, we have homework and stuff and I saw them working and I feel more comfortable sponsoring them. But for the most part, if I just tell you and answer your question, I can't sponsor you, not because I don't like you, it's just because I don't know you. And I'm not going to call, you know, my friend who is my colleague and sponsor somebody that I just don't know. So that's why I think that if you're going to get a mentor, it's probably better if you do it through school. If it happens that you can't and you have to get a virtual mentor, I would suggest that you try to get involved in some type of work because you can do a lot of work virtually, right? You can, I've been working with people virtually too. We, you know, research projects and some educational projects that you can do virtually. 
but it, it's a lot harder. So that, that's what I would say. And also in social media, you can learn a lot, a lot about the field. If you go through Twitter, I mean, there's in my Twitter feed, I, field, I ha, uh, feed, sorry, I have educational content from regularly from other specialties. There's a lot of, uh, you know, posts about the uh, American College of Radiology and all our societies about artificial intelligence, the latest things that are happening. I mean, just by following social media, you can learn the happenings of your specialty, which is very important, especially when it comes to interview season, because those are the things that you may be asked about. And if you know what's going on, then you're probably going to look like, okay, this really, this person is really interested in this specialty. So that, you know, that's what I would do. And, and in terms of learning more about the field uh, and then research opportunities, I think that's, the, you know, it depends on, um, Simon, this is very complicated, right? It depends if you're a student or you want to be a research fellow. Uh, you know, it depends on, on, on a lot of things, but again, that would probably be best in your institution. Not virtually, it's really easy to do some virtual research where you meet with some people and they give you a, a, a very specific responsibility. And you can keep your eye on social media, and and also you can just uh, try to you know ask people around or go to the website of some programs and see somebody that that would be willing to do research. But um, yeah, I, I don't you know I don't I wouldn't stress that that much importance into that. Me myself, um, unless obviously you're shooting for a super competitive program, then all these things become very very important. It is incredible how much is shared on social media and to take time and just go through hashtags. You can see so much with new articles being published in journals um, towards uh, summer opportunities. Uh, if you're looking for scholarships, there's just so much available on the world of Twitter. And it really has made such a difference for so many medical school students that are going through the match. Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, you can waste a lot of time in it, but I think in, in this process, you know, I mean, I can talk about how to behave or not on social media, but in my, you can, you can get a lot of information. And my, my, my quick tip is engage as much as you can in productive stuff, you know, ad advocacy, uh, learning topics, even if you don't understand much, like somebody puts a case of MSK radiology and you don't understand much to try to figure out what it is, you know, get engaged in your societies and the activities they do for residents and fellows and, and medical students. Do not get engaged in arguing about anything. I think that I tell people the best way to engage with somebody who's, who's being a hater in social media to you is to ignore them <laughs> because it can get really, you know, mad and you don't want to be in the position that, okay, well, this person is really like very angry. Uh, and there's a lot of things to learn about social media, but that I just wouldn't engage in the hate part of it, which happens sometimes. And it's unfortunate. It has, has happened to me. I guess I got into the point that I have enough followers that I've had several hate messages and, and stuff and I just ignore them. <laughs> yes, definitely staying positive is key in the social media world. And you've shared so many awesome tips with us about the application process and the interview process. And I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would like to offer or share with people applying into radiology this year. So my, I would say that, you know, um, this application process, you have to look at it as a game, unfortunately, uh, with the match, the way it is, and the odds. Uh, so like any other game, you need to learn how to play it. And of course, for example, if you're playing basketball and you want to be in a winning team or you want to be win, win, a winner yourself, but you're short, you're going to know that the tall people there are going to be some tall people out there who are going to get the rebounds and all that stuff. And you have to learn the game and, 
and how to work around that. And, and you can be successful, but if you need to learn to play the game, uh, but just, I just, just keep that in mind. This is, this is a game in the sense that there are things to learn and there's practice involved. And at the end of the day, you just want to match in a residency. So it will be ideal. I would like to say, wow, everything is possible. You're going to match. And you know, 90% of you or more are going to match, but it is still a process and not everybody finds a position. So, uh, you know, you, you, you need to do it in a way that, that, that you play the game and you practice and, and there's a lot of people who can mentor you in every single step on what you need to do and how do you approach this and not, and, and, and most importantly, what not to do. So well, that, that will be my, my, <laughs> my take home point. Those are awesome things for us to think about, especially as we go into a new match cycle where there's lots of stress and anxiety throughout this entire process. And we appreciate you sharing so much about your background and experience as a program director. But one last thing that we love to do is we want to get to know you a little bit more. So can you share a fun fact about you? I don't know. I mean, well, I guess a lot of people, I'm from Puerto Rico and I am a fitness, I will, I will call myself a fitness addict. I, you know, I, I work out every day at five in the morning, uh, which some people, uh, you know, tell me I'm crazy, but for me, it, gave, it gives me energy. I'm, I'm a father of two wonderful uh, kids. Uh, and yeah, I'm just um, a proud Puerto Rican. I don't, and I love what I do. I don't think obviously I'll do education for the rest of my life, but I, I do what I do because I, I honestly feel passionate about, about education. I think that education is the root of everything, even in medicine. If, you know, if we don't train people, then who's going to take care of, uh, of me? Who's going to take care of me <laughs> when, when I get older? So, but, um, but Simone, it's been great. You know, I, obviously I can talk for hours about all this, but then, and, and I thank you so much for inviting me and, um, if you ever have a question or anybody sends you a question, I'm much more than happy to answer. Uh, nowadays, I try to create a video, so you know, <laughs> I've learned how to do that. That's one of that. That's been my like, uh, you know, my wife during COVID learned how to bake. I learned how to do video editing. So now, <laughs> not only I take videos of my kids, but I take videos of um, of me answering questions and stuff like that. So I'm always happy to help. I can't get through all the messages I get in Twitter and stuff, but um, but definitely I, I would answer a question if, if, if there is one. Well, that is so awesome. Thanks so much. We appreciate all your time and we advise all applicants to follow at Skeletal Rad on Twitter. So that's all the time we have today with Dr. Gomez. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McCloy for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips and hear from another awesome leader in medical education.